Jesus said to the disciples, follow me. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. But how do you really follow someone? Is that a decision that you make or a direction that you go? Who was the world following? Do they even know? Maybe the bigger question, maybe the more important one is who are you following? Jesus says to you, follow me. Who are you following? I love that question. A few years ago, back in 2011, there was an organization that uh, conducted a, an online assessment. It was specifically designed for people who uh, claimed to be Christians. And they had a 10-question survey or quiz. They called it a quiz. And it asked questions that drove at uh, how, like, in terms of your spiritual depth or maturity, uh, how mature you were. And there were two disclaimers that it made on the front of the uh, survey or quiz. And it said, number one, uh, the questions uh, are not meant to be judgmental in nature. Uh, they're just gaining data, trying to, to gain information about what people think and what they believe about uh, spiritual maturity or, or being, you know, being a Christ follower. And, and so they asked that question. And the second thing, and, and really more importantly, it said uh, that you actually had to like click a box that said, I, I claim to be a Christian. And so you would check the box, I claim to be a Christian, and then you would take this 10 question survey. And it was interesting, they, they were doing this for the purpose of, of helping people uh, understand what discipleship is all about and, and spiritual growth, growing in your faith walk and that sort of thing. And it's interesting because they came up with four different categories based on your answers to these questions. Uh, they they'd kind of put you in one of four different pots, if you will, or different uh, you know, areas. And, and the four different areas were, were these. Um, someone either answered those questions and they were far from Christ. They were far from Christ. Now, these are people who claim to be Christians, but they were far from Christ. Um, they were worldly Christians, uh, or they uh, were good Christians, or they were spiritually mature Christians. And, and so there was a publication, a Christian publication, where they were talking about discipleship and they were talking about what it means as we've been discussing these past few weeks to be a follower of Jesus. And the owner of this company that conducted the survey was interviewed by this Christian publication. And, and Brad White is his name, and Brad uh, talked about the fact that a quarter of the respondents of 2,000 different people responding to this survey or this assessment over the course of six months, 25% uh, of them or a quarter of them fell into the category of worldly Christians. And he said, I find that interesting. I'm not making a judgment on Christians. I just find it interesting because what that means, and I want you to capture this as we begin today, what that means is, is that a quarter of the people who say, I am a Christian, act just like everybody else acts. And he said, that's interesting because what I believe it says about some Christians, a quarter of Christians, is, is that um, they're really Christians in name only that they claim to be a Christian, they identify with Jesus, um, they may have even accepted him as their savior, um, but they really don't look like or act like or live their lives 
like Christians? Well, there's a couple things that I, that I took away uh, from this survey. It was interesting because I actually went on and took it. Now, I don't count in that 2000 because I took it this week. Uh, so I didn't count because it was, this was 2011. But the survey is still online, and you can still take it. It takes like five minutes. The questions were so interesting because I expected the questions to have to do, and, and, the, and the survey really kind of drove towards, um, are you a follower of Jesus? And so I figured that it would drive towards, like, knowledge about this book. Now, I went to Christian school. Uh, growing up, I went to a Christian college. I've been in seminary, and I was still nervous about taking it because I thought, man, if I get it wrong, that's bad. You know, like if I get some of these answers wrong. But it had nothing to do about the knowledge of God's word. The questions that they came up with to determine your and my and, and Christians' level of depth of, of their faith walk had everything to do with Jesus' words about following me and All that had to do with was serving other people, was being humble, was responding without judgment, but also confronting sin and and, and time with God. It had to do with factors that I had no idea that it would do with. And so it it proves the premise that we talked about in in week one of this series called Follow Me, and that's this. Um, that becoming a follower of Jesus costs you absolutely nothing. Accepting Jesus as your personal Savior costs you nothing. And if you're here today um, and you're not a Christ follower, I I would um, invite you to become a Christ follower. Jesus says all that you have to do is admit that you're a sinner, um, believe that he died for you, and then confess him as your Savior. It costs you nothing. There's nothing that you have to sacrifice of yourself to become a follower of Jesus. And I think that survey proves that. This whole uh, idea of this assessment proves it. Secondly, it demonstrates that there are a lot of people that want to, or maybe because of their upbringing, identify with Jesus, but they're not really Jesus followers. And i got to be honest with you, if I'm really serious about, like, my life, and I really kind of open up and investigate and peel the layers back, um, there are times and moments and situations and things where I would have to admit I don't look much like a follower of Jesus. And I would imagine that maybe you, if you really stopped and investigated your life, you might have to admit the same thing. You might have to think the same thing. And so this survey really demonstrated kind of what we're talking about, that um, becoming a follower of Jesus costs you nothing. But being a follower of Jesus, continuing to follow him while you're on this earth, is going to be something that costs you. It's going to be something that may cost something very valuable to you. And we're going to have to give up a part of ourselves to do just that. Jesus talked to his disciples in Matthew 16, 24, and he said this. He said he told his disciples, and Matthew says, then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and say these two words with me, these last two words, follow me, follow me. That was Jesus' command to us, was to follow him. 
didn't have to do with a lot of rules and uh, obedience and, and uh, like adherence to law. Um, it had to do with following him. And there are times when following him does mean that we follow in obedience. It does mean we sacrifice. It does mean that we make choices that really like don't kind of jive with our wants or our desires. But because we follow him, we make those choices. Today we're going to be focusing a little bit on the denying ourselves part as we talk about what it means to be a Christ follower. And so I want to ask this question this morning, based on that survey, based on uh, this this man's research, Brad White, um, I want to ask you the question, are you a, a, a Christ follower or are you a Christian in name only? Are you a Christ follower or are you a Christian in name only? And I would suggest to you today What we're going to find out today is that being a follower of Jesus Christ is going to require us to deny ourselves, and that is always going to mean that we focus on the one who came to save save us, that we serve the one who saved us, and we serve those around us. And so what we're going to discuss today is is that being a follower of Jesus is going to require self-denial, and it's going to require us embracing self-sacrifice. We're going to have to embrace self-sacrifice. In fact, that's the whole purpose of this series, is really for us to check ourselves, those of you who are here today who are Christ followers, um, to check ourselves and just have an opportunity to see if we are in alignment with what Jesus taught about follow me. Now, today's message, it, it, might, it might disturb some of you who, who are um, like mature in your faith, and if that happens, um, I've done my job. That's a really good thing, okay? So like, if you're like, I didn't like what he said today. I'm a little disturbed by that. Uh, good, A plus for me. Because I think we as Christians need to be challenged on some of these things because I think that sometimes we place the wrong emphasis on the wrong thing. I think sometimes we think following Jesus means one thing, and I believe that he was very specific on what he wanted. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to have you turn to Matthew chapter 20. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 20, and then we're going to skip over to John chapter 13, and we're going to take a look at what Jesus um, did versus what some others did, and you're going to see a huge contrast on the idea of following Jesus being focused on uh, me, me, me. We learned in week one of this series that following Jesus costs nothing, but being a follower of him is very costly. In week two, I was out of town last week. Actually, I ended up being in town, but Todd Cooper, our student pastor, did a great job uh, last week. I don't know where he is, but I just want to thank him. Is he, he's back there in the back. Awesome, man. Thank you so much, Cooper. He did a great job, and his bottom line, everything kind of pointed to the fact that uh, following Jesus requires us to exchange our safety for his security. And we focused, he focused on those first Christians that right after Jesus died went into hiding, and they were scared, and they were fearful, and then he showed himself to them, and they came under his security. They had to trade their safety for his security, and today we're going to look at self-sacrifice and what that means. It's interesting when Jesus says, follow me, because he says, deny yourself take up your cross and follow me. And I think in some ways there's a little bit of a a formula there. If we're going to be followers, we have to learn what it means to deny ourselves, and then we have to learn what it means to take up our cross. Today we're going to be focusing on the denial part and what it means to deny ourselves. And over the course of the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at what it means to take up our cross and follow him. Now I'm going to use a word today, and it's a hyphenated word, and it is in the English language, okay? So if some of you are like, that's not a word, it's hyphenated, it's two different words. It is actually a word, it's hyphenated. And the word I'm going to use today is a heavy word, and it, the word is self-indulgent. And sometimes you and I um, are so self-indulgent 
that sometimes we won't or aren't willing to uh, submit ourselves to, to Jesus enough to be self-sacrificing. And we're going we're gonna to contrast and compare self-indulgence to self-sacrifice. Now, I realize when I say self-indulgent that some of you right out of the gates are like, man, that is a strong word. Like, that's not a word that we ever use on ourselves, do we? Like, we use it for them, don't we? Like, we look around and we might, like, see somebody and we might go, boy, they're, you know, they're really, like, full of themselves. They're very self-indulgent. Or we might see someone, you know, and, like, you know, they, they're, you know, like, totally into food. I'm right there with you, okay? Or drink or whatever. And, and like, you know, we say they are self-indulgent. But how often do we evaluate ourselves and go, man, I was really self-indulgent there? We might say selfish. I was selfish right there. But it's a strong thing to say that someone is self-indulgent. And I think the reason that maybe you and I don't use that word for ourselves is is that um, as Christ followers, as people who follow Jesus, sometimes maybe we just have a blind spot. And I want to today maybe pull some of those blind spots into the light so that you and I um, can deal with them in a way that uh, God wants us to. Now, the word self-indulgent means this. It means um, indulging in one's own desires and passions, and whims, and, this is the interesting part, especially without restraint. Oh, man. Wow. So that's the restraint thing that gets us in trouble when it comes to things that are self-indulgent. Look, you and I have things in our lives that we enjoy and that we get involved in, and we might become self-indulgent with those things. I already mentioned food. Man, I, I love my... My, one of my favorite things to do other than playing golf is to cook. Yes, I like to cook. I admit it. I'm sure there's counseling for me, but uh, I like to cook. I love to cook, okay? So uh, I like to go out and play golf and cook, and actually Cynthia told me about a date coming up where I get to do both on the same day. So it's awesome. So thanks, honey. It's awesome. So anyway, uh, I, I love to eat. I do. I love to eat. And I have to, you know, have to watch my weight, and that's an issue. And so anyway, and some of you are like right there with me, okay? So I can become very self-indulgent with food. Maybe some of you are with me. Um, sometimes we can become self-indulgent in terms of a, a team or a political party that we follow in, you know, this crazy election cycle. Um, you know, like the sports thing, yeah, it's the Masters today, Masters Sunday, but like after this, it's pretty dead until the fall, right? Uh, I mean, I'm not much of an NBA guy. Maybe you are, but like it's kind of, I think it's kind of dead until the fall. But in the fall, we in the South, especially, we have our college teams, don't we? And so the fall is going to come around, and you guys know where I'm going with this. In Athens, I'm going to be rooting for the Georgia Bulldogs, all right? Go dogs, go dogs. Okay, so, and you may have your allegiance. You may have gone to a school, or you may have adopted a school like I did, because I went to Liberty University, and we have the Flames, so you've got to go with the Bulldogs. So anyway, n- no offense to my alma mater, I love Liberty, but anyway, uh, so anyway, uh, I'm a Bulldogs fan, and, and you probably have your team, and we can become very self-absorbed. That can control our lives sometimes, men, guys, right? Am I right? And, and sometimes sports or athletics or a team or an allegiance or an identity with a party, a political party, or an ideal can be something that can just feed us, right? And we begin to know more and more about it, and all of a sudden, the more we know, the more we're fed, and the more we're fed, the more we want more, and all of a sudden, we just become like so self-absorbed in whatever that is. Um, It could be a relationship that causes you, or relationships that cause you to be self-indulgent. Sometimes we can be self-indulgent about success, In our careers, we can get so wrapped up in becoming a better whatever that we become 
self-indulgent about that career or having success or money or wealth or possessions. And I would suggest to you today that all of those things are good, but when we like make them bigger than our passion for Jesus and for God's word and for what he's doing in our lives or our families, um, that's when we become self-indulgent about those things. And I guarantee you that each one of you um, has one of those things or maybe something that I haven't mentioned that is something that becomes very self-indulgent for you. It just feeds your ego. It makes you, um, it makes you happy. It satisfies you. For some of us, um, you know, self-indulgent is just comfort or being satisfied. That's something that we see quite often around here, don't we? Is this, like, desire just to be satisfied, to be full. And so we become self-indulgent about just being satisfied and being comfortable. Uh, social media. Oh, man, I know I'm walking on thin ice here, all right? We can be very self-indulgent about social media, can't we? Like, we're posting every little nuance of everything we do. Like, I don't care that you just went to the grocery store, and then you went and worked out, and you sweated all day. I don't want to hear that. Like, I don't want to hear that. You don't want to hear it when I do it either, okay? But we are so consumed. With, I, don't, I don't work out that much, so it's probably not going to happen. But, like, we become so consumed with our image that social media is what becomes our place of self-indulgence. And so all of those things are true, but, and maybe today that's what God is going to lead you, we, um, you know, that's what the Holy Spirit is going to lead you to, to abandon so that you can really understand what it means to be self-sacrificing. But today, uh, I, wanna, I just want to kind of give you, I guess, a word of warning um, as a Christ follower, because I think that what Christians fall into so often especially mature Christians, is the trap of becoming self-indulgent about knowledge. We become self-indulgent about spiritual position. We become self-indulgent about um, what we oversee at our church or in our community, um, and we become puffed up with pride about a spiritual position that we may have. And I think what you're going to see today, I pray what you're going to see today, is that a spiritual position is not something that we should attain for. The only position that we should attain, that we should be driving for, is to be a follower of Jesus. And that means doing what he said to do. That means following in his example and doing those things that he said and that he gave us an example about. And we're going to see this amazing uh, kind of contrast. I think that for some of us, this is a blind spot. For me, it's been a blind spot a few times in my life, and, and I think it can be for us. And I think it's something that we, we may miss. And in our genuine pursuit of becoming a better Christian, a better Christ follower, we fall into the trap of some kind of attainment of a spiritual position or place and, and we really miss it. I want you to take a look at Matthew chapter 20, one of my favorite passages. I, I just think this is an actual um, funny passage and funny situation that happens with Jesus. Take a look at what Jesus, uh, what Matthew records is happening and how Jesus responds to this. Now, this is before Jesus obviously is arrested and, and goes to the cross, but he's, he's in the meat of his ministry here, and, and things are about ready to spin out of control for he and his disciples. But um, he's ministering around the Sea of Galilee, and he, he's uh, with James and John. These are two brothers. Uh, they were sons of Zebedee. Take a look at what, uh, how Matthew records this in Matthew 20. We'll read from 20 to 28. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him, meaning Jesus, uh, with her sons. And kneeling before Jesus, she asked him for something. 
And he, Jesus, said to her, what do you want? And she said to him, say these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right and one at your left in your kingdom. Now, I just want to stop there for a second. Like, um, I think it's funny, first and foremost, that she uses no diplomacy whatsoever in asking for this. Like, if any of you have been in sales, this is like the way not to sell, right, an idea. Like, she just comes right out with it. And she kind of, like, is demanding about it. She's not like, hey, Jesus, how was your day today? You know, how you been doing? What's going on? Tell me about your life. She's like, see to it that my sons sit, one on your left, one on your right, Jesus. She demands it. And, and, and I kind of picture, like, her sons are like, uh, mom, that was a conversation we had over the dinner table. We didn't expect you to, like, ask Jesus about it. And I kind of picture them, like, kind of hiding behind the couch going, can't believe mom did that like what is she doing she's ruining this he tells us to be a servant and she's asking for the best place possible in Jesus's kingdom and so there's James and, and uh, uh, John this these sons of Zebedee and Jesus answered and he said in verse 21 he said to her um, or excuse me in verse 22 he answered and I imagine him looking at these boys saying you do not know what you're asking are you able to drink the cup that I'm to drink? And they said to him, yeah, we're able. <laughs> they got over that initial shock. Yeah, we can do that. And what Jesus was referring to in this passage was the fact that he was about ready to be nailed to a cross. He was about ready to die for the sins of the world. And he, he says, can you drink this cup that I'm about ready to drink? Do you think that you can go through the same suffering that I'm about ready to go through? And they answered, yeah, sure, we can do that. <laughs> Pretty bold, isn't it? It's pretty audacious. Sure, we got that, Jesus. He said to them, well, you'll drink of my cup, but to sit at my right hand and my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. I love verse 24. Here's another uh, comedy part that happens here in this story. All of a sudden, the other disciples, they're pretty ticked off. Like, how can these young guys ask for this? They become indignant. Look at verse 24. When the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. Listen, guys, the next time you think that it's like your, your, man, your daughters or sisters or moms or wives that are causing the drama, look to the disciples. They cause drama all the time, okay? These two boys are wanting a place. They're wanting a position in Jesus' kingdom, or at least the mom is, and you see that the boys are. But all of a sudden, what do the ten do? They don't, they don't keep quiet and let him hang himself on this thing. They are like mad about this. How can they even ask this question? So Jesus is like, now I got to deal with the mom. I got to deal with these two boys. And now I got to deal with the other 10. And so he does that. And in verse 25, Jesus called them to him and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. And then he says this in verse 26. It shall not be so among you. And he says, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And in verse 27, he says, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. 
It's interesting that uh, Matthew uses two words there, servant and slave, and they actually are two different words in the original language. Um, one literally means, uh, servant means that you're like an assistant to someone else. Slave is everything you and I have pictured when we think of the word slave. So he says, if you want to be great, you're going to have to become an assistant. But if you want to be first, which is where they wanted to be on his right and his left, you're going to have to become a slave. And a slave was everything bad, everything horrible that you and I think. It literally meant someone who was owned and marked, by the way, it was a bond slave, with something on their ear, with a mark on their ear, and they were owned by their master. And everything about their life was controlled by their master. Jesus said, your spiritual position means nothing. Your job is to be a servant. It's to be a slave. It is to serve those around you. See, we want to fill ourselves with all this knowledge. And I'm not saying knowledge is bad. I say that so often. If you're not a part of a group, a life group, or a Bible study, in the fall when we kick off again, you've got to be a part of one. You just got to. You've got to be a part of sharing your life with other people and learning about the Word of God. It's so important for you to learn God's Word. But if all it does is stay here and it never gets to hear or hear in your heart and your hands, if it, all it does is stay in your mind, in your head, it is worthless. All we become is puffed up, top-heavy Christians. And that's not what Jesus meant when he said, follow me. He meant for us to serve. You see, you and I will never be first until we're last. We'll never have status and position until we're in heaven. <laughs> until we're not even here on this earth anymore. Jesus equates spiritual success not with a position or, or a box on an org chart. He equates it with serving others. And there have been times in my life and maybe in your life when I've had a hard time I'm recognizing, and I've had a blind spot, and I've had to realize that, man, I'm seeking after something that Jesus never said we should seek after. And in fact, his model, and not only his, his, what he said, but he modeled what he said by being a servant to his disciples. And we see that in John um, chapter 13, this great example of being a servant. Check this out. This is right before Jesus goes to the cross and, and this is what John records. Now, before the, the Passover feast, the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And during supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, he rose from supper and he laid aside his garment as uh, someone in the room would often do. And he took a towel and he tied it in his, around his waist. And then Jesus proceeded to walk around that room. And Jesus proceeded to get down probably on his knees, at least one, maybe both of them. And he began to pour from a pitcher of water into some sort of basin, I would imagine. And as he poured, he probably asked John to take his sandals off because his feet were covered with mud and dust. 
Jesus took that towel that would have been wrapped around his waist and he would have dipped it in the water. And he would have taken John and Matthew and guess what? Even Judas. He would have taken their feet. He would have taken that towel and he would have dripped water on their feet. And their rabbi, the one who came to save the world from our sins, humbled himself enough to get down on hands and knees and clean the feet of those disciples, one of whom was a, had already betrayed him and another one who would soon deny him, and the others who would soon be afraid. And in doing so, Jesus validated that he came not to be served, but he came to serve. We started out a few weeks ago by talking about the fact that these rabbis would walk from place to place and they would kick up dust and it would land on the sandals and the feet of those followers that followed most closely. And I think it's ironic and interesting and perfect that Jesus was cleaning off that same dust that he would have kicked up that landed on Matthew and Peter and John's feet. And he cleaned it off. And he showed us how we're supposed to live our lives as Christ followers. Church, it's not about a position. It's not about being on top of a pedestal. It's not about having all the knowledge in the world and using that knowledge about God's word and about God to lord it over someone else. It's about learning who Jesus was what he did and following him so closely that you and I do exactly what he did. You and I have a lot of opportunity to do that in our community. You can go to our website and find out all of our partners. We've got a group of people that are here throughout the week that pack bags of food for children in our community that don't have food and they put them in backpacks and we partner with Backpack Buddies. In fact, we even have two shelves back here where we store all the stuff. If you want to wash someone's feet, come and help pack food for people who are hungry in our community. And there are a lot more of them than you think. We've got Sandalwood Community Food Pantry that serves people in our community. They have food in a pantry and they let them come in on Tuesdays and, and Fridays and they need help all the time organizing it and preparing it and being there. You could serve at Volunteers in Medicine and help them stock their shelves for people who normally wouldn't get treated with any respect when they walk in a doctor's office and yet they receive medicine and love and care from people in our community that are making a difference. Y'all, that's the church. That's following Jesus. That's saying, I'm going to deny myself, and I'm going to get on hands and knees, and I'm going to serve my community. If you're retired in here, and you have time, remember when you didn't have time, because that's where the rest of us are. You could give your time back in a thousand ways. Dick King is a part of our church. He's got a group of people that will go to hospitals and, and you know, meet with people who are sick in our community. Man, if you've got time and want to join in with him, go for it. Get online. Let us know. Fill out a card. Let us know that you want to be a part of that. I tell people, if I show up at the hospital, man, you're in, you're in trouble. Like, it's bad if I show up at the hospital because we got a team of people that do that. They do it better than I do. 
There are so many ways to get involved. Some of you who are students, you can get involved by serving in Island Kids. Parents, parents, parents. Oh, my goodness. Man, what a great way to serve our church community by being involved in Island Kids. Don't, don't treat your church like it's child care. Don't do that. Drop your kids off every once in a while and go back and serve every once in a while. Talk to Summer about serving our kids. Maybe you'll even have the privilege of leading one of those little ones to the Lord. Some of you are just excellent at putting on a great smile and welcoming somebody in this building or serving by making coffee or serving in our parking lot. Guest service is where you can serve. There are so many ways that you and I can serve each other. I love the story that um, someone told me on Easter Sunday. Um, It was a beautiful day this Easter Sunday, wasn't it? Clear skies, cool weather. No, it was nasty. It rained buckets of rain every time I opened my mouth to preach, to speak. It, like, poured down, and it was crazy. And we had a river going through our parking lot, and I had a family come up to me, and you know what they said? They said, this is our church. We've been looking for a church for a long time. This is it. You know why they knew it was it? Because they saw all the people in the parking lot who were helping get people in with umbrellas, and some Todd Cooper came up with this idea to build a little bridge out there temporarily. It was a great way to go, Todd. Uh, even when I told him he shouldn't do it, it was great. A great idea. I was wrong, totally. Okay, so, um, <laughs> and they said the reason we knew this was our church was because we saw people serving as soon as we pulled into the parking lot. A few weeks ago, our staff listened to a podcast by Andy Stanley, and he had a guest on there who uh, gave a great illustration about what it means to be a leader. And he said, you, you and I need to move from the place that we uh, lead people with a clipboard, walking around, making notes of everything they do wrong, to being the leader that walks around with a towel in their hand, asking, how can I help you? And I love that visual for leadership, but you know it applies to the Christian life too. Some of us need to stop walking around with a clipboard in our hand, criticizing everything we see. We need to walk around the people we love and care about with a towel. And we need to find out how we can serve them. Maybe it's time for you to put the clipboard down and pick up the towel and serve the people around you. Listen, following Jesus is the bottom line today. will lead us to abandon self-indulgence and embrace self-sacrifice. If you follow him closely enough, the Holy Spirit's going to lead you to that point. Don't fight it. Allow him to do a work in you that's amazing. And maybe you can find yourself serving people with that towel rather than a clipboard as well. Would you pray with me? God, thank you so much for your word. God, I thank you so much for what you did by kneeling down and serving those who would turn on you. And God, I thank you that uh, we have the example of these sons of Zebedee and their mom, who were really just concerned about their position in your kingdom. And God, that is not what we need to be concerned about. We don't need to be concerned about how good we are, or how much we know, or God, how, how much more we um, accomplish spiritual things, and how many more missions trips that we've gone on than the other person, and how many more people we've um, you know, witnessed to than someone else. God, when you looked at your disciples and you said, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me, what you meant was you, you wanted for all of us, not just those 12 men, but you wanted us 
over 2,000 years later to follow in your footsteps and follow your example of servanthood. And God, I pray in the strong name of Jesus that you would allow us in this room, those of us who are here and we've been Christ followers for years, and maybe we view ourselves as mature Christians. God, I pray that we wouldn't be just Christians in name only. God, I pray that we wouldn't be people who just hang our hats somewhere and identify with a religious group of people. God, I pray that we would be people who follow you so closely, that we do what you do, that we say what you say. And God, that means denying ourselves and abandoning everything that's indulgent about our life and embracing self-sacrifice. Help us to do that. Help us to do it today. Help us to do it with our families and our friends and people that we see in this church parking lot and people that we see at the Walmart parking lot. God, I pray that you would help us to have the eyes of someone who is a servant. God, help us with that. Give us courage and the character to do that. In Jesus' name I pray.